0: I'd like to stop and ask for God's uh, help as we open his word today. And so would you bow with me in prayer? We'll pray one more time. Heavenly Father, your word is so incredible to us. I thank you for the change that it makes in our life. I thank you how it expresses the gift of salvation. And I praise you, Lord, that it gives us instruction for each day. I would ask that as we gather around your word now, we would be clearly involved. May the Holy Spirit be our teacher. May your word come through as powerful, and may I not get in the way. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. It's interesting to see when certain uh, phrases become coined or become popular. Every once in a while, you'll hear a phrase or you'll hear a term, and you'll wonder where that came from. Now, I have to believe that the term dream team uh, was around before 1992. But I think it's fair to say, and you can confirm this on the internet, that dream team, when people use that expression today, oftentimes they are thinking of the 1992 um, Olympic dream team, the basketball team. I am allowed at my home to decorate one room. I get one room in my home. And my wife has such a wonderful ability to make a house into a home, and it's a beautiful home. I have no complaints. But if you want to see where my expertise is, you can come and look at my garage. In my garage, I have things that are laminated. I have uh, family vacation pictures. And one of the items that I have in my garage is this right here. I cannot imagine why Tina has not allowed this to go in the living room. But having said that, What I have here is some wonderful basketball players from when I was growing up, and I have nine out of the 12 players that were on the Olympic Dream Team, the original ones. I'm going to tell you who I have, and if you can tell me who I'm missing after the service, I will give you a handshake. Uh, (laughs) Here's... Well, I've got some ice cream back in the fridge over here, but probably several of you guys will know this era of basketball. I have a card, a couple cards from Michael Jordan. I have a Scotty Pippen, John Stockton, and Carl Malone. I've got Drexler and Ewing and Robinson and Mullins and Barkley. And I'm missing three. If you can tell me the three I'm missing after, don't say it out loud. Don't say not You can Google it, I guess, but just make sure you get what's going on from the Bible. I'm missing Three. They assembled what was a dream team. And I remember back when they were playing in the Olympics, they never took a timeout all throughout the first Olympics. It was really fun to watch. The best players in the world. It was the change when you didn't have to be a college player. You could be a professional player playing in the Olympics. And I've asked myself this past week, if God were going to assemble in a community a dream team, For a church family. Putting together a local church family. For a church that's going to be powerful. For a church that's going to be dominant. Who is it that would make the cut? In that church. On that dream team. What we're going to see in God's word today. Is that there is something in common. Among churches. That are accomplishing the purpose that God has left them in the world for, and that are healthy. Now, I hope I've got your attention, because I hope you want to be part of a dream team, and I will let you know right now. Every one of you has the ability to make the cut on this dream team. I promise you, if you are a child of God, you have a path to be on this team. But having said that, I need to warn you. It's not an easy path. It's a difficult path. And yet I think it is indisputable that when we study God's word, there is at least one attribute in particular that we find on, and I think there are dream teams all around the world. The longer I'm around, I'll come across local church congregations that I had never heard of or known anybody. And amazingly, God is using them in wonderful and purposeful ways. All that to take us to our text. If you, could, if you would, would you turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, please? 2 Corinthians 12. If you don't have a Bible, I'd invite you to take one of the Bibles in the hymn rack in front of you. And if you do not own a Bible, please take that Bible that's there as our gift to you. We want to make sure that anybody who has been to Calvary has a Bible of their very own. So please do turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. When we talk about church, I need to do a little bit of defining before we get much further. When we talk about the church as the Bible defines it, are we talking about a church building like we are in today? Or are we talking about people? Which one is it? It is people. The church is the people. Brothers and sisters saved by grace. And God uses his people powerfully only after he has humbled them or they have humbled Themselves. You know, we don't like to put humility very high on the list of qualities today that we like in people. We do like it, but that's not really big on the resume if you're trying to get a job, humility. In fact, the opposite is oftentimes talked about. And when we look at uh, God's word, there's no doubt that he puts humility very high. But today, people joke about it. Um, I heard a, a... I thought it was a clever joke not too long ago about humility. It was about a pastor in a pretty formal church and throughout the week he would go and kneel down and he would pray. And his prayer would sound something like this. Oh God, you are everything and I am nothing. Well, there was an assistant pastor there and he observed this. He thought that was pretty good. And so the next week when he had opportunity he went and knelt next to him at the front of the church. And he said, Oh God you are everything and I am nothing. The custodian observed this and he thought that was pretty good too. So the next week, the pastor and the assistant pastor were walking through and they came across the janitor's closet and there's the custodian kneeling down and he said, oh God, you are everything and I am nothing. And the assistant pastor elbowed the senior pastor and said, look who thinks he's nothing, just like that. You see, we have a wrong idea about humility There was one uh, church that, um, I'm told, as a joke anyway, gave a medal to their pastor because he was so humble. And so they gave him this medal that said humility on the front, but they had to take it away because he was wearing it all the time. (laughs) Humility is not something that is celebrated. But I want to suggest to us that humility is what you have to have if you want to make the cut. Maybe this will be more appealing to you. Humility is what you'll have to have in order for there to be power upon your life to serve our God. Now, God can use anyone. And we're going to see in just a few minutes that God even uses individuals that are evil, that are anti-God for his own purposes. But as we look in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, I want for us to start with the last verse. We're going to cover verses 7 through 10 today. Look with me at verse number 10. It says, for the sake of Christ then, the Apostle Paul writes, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. As the Apostle Paul writes, he's getting at something that every one of us is going to face at some point. At some point, all of us are going to come to this area of what Paul describes as weaknesses. And if I could ask you to just interchange the word weaknesses and trials for today's purposes, that would be helpful. Why does God give us trials? What can we learn from weaknesses and trials? I want to suggest that instead of fearing trials, you and I should be taken to a different place of trust in our God. Trials are going to come. But we trust that God is in control. We trust that God is going to have his purposes accomplished, whether we are part of being obedient or not. And instead of fearing trials, what we need to look for is what is God trying to do through this? And even beyond that, what is there down the road that I can tap into? What power can God add to what's going on here to see incredible things happening? Now, before we jump into verses 7, 8, and 9, I want to remind us of who we're talking about here as an author. The Apostle Paul is, in my words, a super Christian. By anybody's standard, he was a wonderful, wonderful example and leader. God used him in incredible ways. His endurance in serving God was amazing. He would overcome enemies both outside the church and enemies inside the church. If you look back at chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians, right there in verses 24 and 25, it gives some of the physical as, uh, pains that he had faced. Five times he got the 40 lashes minus one. Three times beaten with rods. He was stoned one time. And even with all this physical torment that was going in, going on, he did not quit. You see, Paul was not a sissy. He was strong. And I want to remind you of that because what we're about to see is he's going to God and he's saying, God, please make it stop. He had put up with so much. He had been so strong through so much trial and yet here in our text, he's coming in multiple times saying, God, would you please take this away? God, I cannot bear this. Our main goal is to define a strong church. Strong Christians that make up a strong church. But there are going to be some other side notes that will be a help to you as well as we go through this. And so four purposes of trials in our life, or four purposes of suffering. Number one, God uses suffering to humble us. God uses suffering to humble us. Look at verse number seven with me. And don't rush past this. We're going, there's some wonderful deep stuff here. Paul writes, So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Two times he mentions it there. God gives this thorn in the flesh so that he would not become conceited. And he talks about why there might be pride that could enter into his heart. Did you see the reference there? We're right in the middle of the text, but just before this, Paul gives this incredible account of it's himself taken up to the heavens and then coming back down. And so he says here in verse 7, because of these revelations, I might get puffed up. He, he experienced something that nobody else had experienced. And so Paul's trial primarily was to keep him from becoming prideful. And he references the special revelations that came from God in verses 1 through 3. Now, can you imagine this? How often are we having theological debates among us, right? I mean, something comes up, and I disagree with you, and maybe I can prove my point better than yours. Maybe it comes down to an opinion, But when we look at Paul having a disagreement, can you see when he was talking with another church leader and they have a disagreement, how he might say, okay, I see your point. Now, have you ever been taken up to heaven and then come back down again? No? All right, well, perhaps I get to win then. You see, this revelation that Paul was given was something that very easily, even though he was already such a wonderful and gifted man, it could have caused him to become conceited. And so here's a simple statement if you're taking notes today. Humility is the number one Christian virtue. Strong churches come from strong Christians, and humility is the number one virtue that needs to be found in strong Christians. Paul says this thorn was given to him, and it's because God wanted to humble him. Paul says this, is a messenger of Satan. And so there might be some confusing things there. Is it from God or is it from Satan? Let's explore this for a minute. First of all, let me ask this question. Is the devil interested in your humility? Does he want you to be humble? Absolutely not. But we see that God wants us to be humble. And this is God using the devil to affect one of his children. Some folks would hear this and they would be shocked. Really? God would use Satan in order to accomplish his purposes like that? Maybe if I can take our Bible uh, knowledge back a few years, in fact, go all the way back to the oldest recorded book in the Old Testament, the book of Job. This devil goes up to God and has this conversation. God initiates it, doesn't he? Have you considered my servant Job? And the whole book of Job is about how God allowed Satan to cause stress, persecution, pain, even death, in order to bring Job to where he wanted Job to be. And by the way, I referenced this just for a short time earlier. We're discussing how God is going to use people to accomplish his purposes in strong churches. I just want to remind us, Christians and non-Christians alike, that God uses everybody for his purposes. And so, if you are one, practicing sin on a regular basis, you're just not getting serious about your walk with Christ, God can use you, unfortunately, to accomplish his purposes. When we look in the Bible, we see people like Nebuchadnezzar, individuals like Nero, Who were clearly evil. And God used them for his purposes. And so you can be used, but I don't want you to settle for being used in that kind of a way. I want you to aim high. If you're like me, you've had a time in your life where you have said, I want my life to count for something, I want my life to make a difference. What I do here in this world, not just something that might last 70 or 90 years, but something that would go on for eternity. When we get serious about serving our God, He will use us. But there's a price that needs to be paid. And if you're confused about whether a trial is coming from God or from the devil, I've heard different folks talk about this. Well, is this this from the devil? Look, the devil's at work here. Or is it from God? Well, that can be confusing. Let me help you out with this statement. God is always at work. And our enemy is never at rest. We are here in this world for such a short time. And the devil hates to see us effective. And God hates to see us apathetic. And so we know that God wants to humble us. Number two, God uses suffering to draw us closer to him. He uses suffering in our life to draw us closer to him. Look at verse number eight. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. Where did Paul go when the trial continued? He went to his knees. In prayer. This is the right response. When you're going through suffering, the right response is to pray. In fact, your immediate response should be to pray. And your response after 14 years should be to pray. Three times. This is the importunity that we read about in Luke chapter 11. Keep on going to God Just because he has not answered the way that you want is not a reason for you to stop praying. I want for us to look at the time frame of the suffering. If you look throughout the chapter, you can find that here. It's not only a very painful suffering that Paul has been given, but it's continued for a very long time. In verse number 7, we saw that the thorn was given on account of the revelations that he received. And if you go up a little bit to verse number 2, you'll see that the revelations were given, do you see it there? 14 years ago. So it appears that several years, Paul was going through this horrible torment. And when we are under duress like that for a long period of time, it's different than when it's just for a short season. Number three, God uses suffering to display his grace to us. God uses trials in our life in order that we can see His grace. Look at the first half of verse 9. But He said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. God answered not, don't miss this, God answered the prayer not by removing the trial, He answered the prayer not by making it easier in His life by decreasing the pain but instead God answers the prayer of Paul in a different way than he was asking. God did answer but God said here's what's going to happen. The grace that I give you from day to day I'm going to increase it. So it's the exact amount of grace that you need to handle this thorn in your flesh. The goal of humbling us does not go away. I would encourage you, and this is getting a little bit fuzzy here when I say this, but to pray like Paul, remove this from me. You might be praying, remove some power from me if you're saying you don't want that testing time. The goal of humbling uh, us does not go away. And so he does not answer the prayer according to Paul's request. Instead he he says, I'm going to give you the grace you need for today, this day, I promise. When we look at God's word, when we look at the promises that we find there, we understand that God oftentimes works in ways that we are not expecting. In fact, sometimes we think he made a mistake, don't we? What has happened here? We've just had some very uh, unusual weather last night. One person messaged me this morning. I can't make it in today. I don't have any power at my house. I got a message last night. Does the church have power? we got a place of business down here with no power, a place over here with no power. I think God wanted you to be here today because he left the lights on for us. God, and, But you know what? If God had the power out, and we were here singing a cappella With just candlelight, God is still good. God allows us to go through these things, and he teaches us lessons. He wants his grace, all-sufficient grace, perfect grace, to be on display. Numbers one, two, and three are all building to something. They're all building to number four, And the fourth point is God uses suffering to reveal his power. He uses suffering to reveal his power. Let's finish verse number 9. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. This is foreign to the world that we live in, boasting in our weaknesses. This is foreign to any other religion, boasting in our weaknesses. The Apostle Paul has plenty of things to boast about, and yet he says, if I'm going to boast in anything, it's going to be in my weaknesses. You see, God's philosophy is different. God says that man sees the outside, but God looks upon the what? The heart. God looks at our heart. But he's left us in this world. And can it get confusing? Anybody here been confused lately by anything going on around you? It can get confusing. It can get really hard. And so what we see is, we see people who don't know Jesus Christ, and they look like they're doing pretty good in this world. And so we tend to be like the ancient Israelites who looked at the surrounding countries and they said, we want a king like the surrounding countries, not a theocracy like God had set up with a prophet, priest, and king Or when Christ was ruling them. When we look at God and we look at that theocracy, those people said, we see others and we want that. This is why it's so important for us to stay close to God's word. When you look in God's word, it's going to remind you of who he is and what he can do for you. When we look at characters in God's word, we see individuals like Moses. Moses, possibly the greatest leader recorded in the Bible. People like Paul, who we're talking about here. People like Peter. Jesus talked to Peter and said, Satan wants to sift you. And then we see Jesus Christ, who is the most perfect picture of humility. All these were defined by humility. They all had power because God was able to work in their lives. They were not boasting about their weaknesses from their own sins or their own shortcomings. I think if you study what Paul was talking about, it was when he was persecuted for serving God. Those beatings, those imprisonments, Paul is bragging about the weaknesses that came to him when he was serving God. And I love that God records for us the weaknesses of our Bible heroes. And so, brothers and sisters, today, I want to let you know how we get a powerful church. A powerful church comes from powerful men and women who follow Jesus Christ. And powerful men and women who follow Jesus Christ see that God's power is perfected in our weakness. I have never met anyone who is too weak to be powerful for the Lord. But I have met met many that are too strong to be powerful. What can we do with this? What can you and I do? A couple things for us. Number one is the stewardship of your trials. You are a steward of the trials that you have. So number one, don't leave the trials of life empty-handed. Don't say, I never want to think about that day again. You see, every one of us has a story. I have a story. You have a story. There are some things in that history that we don't like to talk about. We don't like to think of. And yet what God is doing is he is writing a story in our lives. We are not robots. He expects us to respond in the right way. What can God do through this? Do not leave the trials of life empty-handed. And then next, never forget that God is creating powerful churches with ordinary people in their weaknesses if you were to move from the area that you're at right now and go to the other side of the world, you could find churches. Sometimes you've got to drive a little farther, but you can find what God is doing. Powerful churches because of individuals who have learned this valuable lesson. And so I would beg you today to count it all joy when you fall into trials. Because in those trials, God is working. His power. His power is perfected. The devil hates seeing individuals that rejoice in humility and rejoice in their weaknesses. The devil's afraid of powerful Christians, he's not afraid of those that don't have any power. Let me close with this. Uh, My wife uh, had a birthday recently, and um, I had a gift for her that wasn't something that she could open. And I did want her to have something that she could open. And so the um, smaller thing that I knew we kind of needed around the house was, um, well, I'll just tell you what she did. She power sprayed our deck and cleaned it all off, got it looking great. And the next day, there's birds all over our deck. And it wasn't looking so great after that. Is that polite, Is that polite enough, to wait way to say it? All these birds all over the deck, what are we going to do? And her birthday was coming up. I needed something in a box for her to open. So I go and I buy one of these owls. Have you seen these owls that you can buy? It's got the head that turns and the glassy eyes. I gave it to her early in the morning, and she screamed when she opened it up, actually. <laughs> but I was thinking, well, this will be a nice little side thing. Took that owl, and now I'm thinking, we got the, we got the victory one here. Took that, set it out there on the back deck, The next day she calls me up. You gotta see this. These birds are just dancing all around this owl. They're not scared at all. They weren't gonna go anywhere. In fact, last so it's not accomplishing its purpose, it's not scaring the birds away. Last night, for the first time, the owl blew down and fell down from our deck on the ground, and the head popped off and is laying next to it. So, if any birds had been afraid of that owl before, now, when they see him decapitated there on the ground, they're going to say, Surely this guy's nothing to worry about. Those birds weren't afraid of that owl because he's got no power. It's a scarecrow, kind of, it's a trick. The devil's not afraid of any Christian who will not tap into the power of God. And if you will not humble yourself, God will humble you. And I would encourage you to rejoice in your weaknesses because the power of God is going to come through humble servants. And we praise God when he does this. Would you bow with me in prayer? Heavenly Father, as we look to you, we come rejoicing that we have a future home. We thank you for those that have called upon Jesus Christ for forgiveness, that we have a home in heaven. God, we thank you for what you've done here in this world by sending your Son. We praise you for the forgiveness that we can have. Jesus Christ died on the cross for the sins of everyone in the world And whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We thank you that so many here have have realized that and called out for forgiveness. And God, we will pray for those who maybe have not done that, that they would understand that what is needed in this world is for God to be increased and for us to actually decrease. And that's how you accomplish your purposes. With heads bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around, I'm going to give you just a moment to pray. Pray for humility can be a dangerous thing, but I would encourage you that it's not something that you should not do because you can trust a God who would take you down any road. He will give you the grace sufficient to get through. Maybe you're here today, you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. You're not a follower of Jesus or a Christian. Even while the piano plays, you can pray. Something like, God, I realize that I'm a sinner. Because of my sin, I know there's a punishment. And Jesus Christ paid the price for my sins on the cross. I thank you, God, for doing this. Please forgive me and make me your child. And if you'll pray a simple prayer like that and mean it from your heart, God will do a work of regeneration in you. Take just a moment to pray.